No one has ever questioned that Christians are to be holy. How could they? Passages like those that were read and a host of others command us, call us, dare us, beg us to be holy. So no one has ever questioned it, but what does it mean and when and how? In these three messages this week, I want to talk with you on what is, I'm afraid, a very elementary level. And if I insult your intelligence, please forgive me. But I want to talk today about what is holiness anyway. Tomorrow I want to talk about how is holiness achieved. And on Thursday I want to talk about why is it so hard. So today, what is holiness? Holy is not a very common word in the literature of the ancient Near East. It doesn't occur all that frequently. When it does, it simply describes that which is out of the ordinary. And so, in the most famous study that has been written in the last century or so, Rudolf Otto's The Idea of the Holy, he has to resort to Latin terms to convey the idea. It's the numinous, that which is kind of eerie and weird. It's the Mysterium Tremendum. Isn't it fascinating, as my teacher Dennis Kinlaw has said, that when we want to really say something, we have to use Latin. <laughs> something that is other. Something that is just beyond the reach of our fingertips, and yet is there. It's not surprising that the word has no moral connotations at all in the literature of the ancient Near East. How could it? All the gods are holy. The clean gods and the unclean. The good, the bad. The beneficent, the cruel. They're all holy. So, where does the English definition come from? One dictionary definition says, holy, morally and spiritually excellent. Where did that come from? Here. For the Hebrews were dragged kicking and screaming into the discovery there is only one other in the universe. There is only one who is really other than we, other than this stuff, radically, terrifyingly, horrifyingly other. So it's not surprising that every time someone sees God in the Old Testament, after the experience is over, they say, ha ha, ha ha. I've seen God, and I'm still alive. He's other. The God's other? Give me a break. You made that thing with your hands, and you dare to say, that's holy? Not a chance. 
And deeper than that, behind all of those scathing attacks on idolatry is a deeper thought, and you made the idea with your mind. These gods are just humans written large. And you call that other? Oh no, we've met one who is not the moon, who is not the stars, who is not passion, who is not the river. He is other. And he is every person's other. He encounters us in those moments when we're not looking for him. Recently, I saw a listing of Four books written between 1929 and 1955 which were described as the anti-communist manifesto. Four of the great books that unveiled the fallacies. One of those books is entitled Witness by Whitaker Chambers. Whitaker Chambers was a journalist in this country, worked for some of the top publications, and he was a passionate communist. In those associations, he met another passionate communist, Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss was one of the top persons in the, sec in the State Department. A friend of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Hiss, uh, excuse me, Chambers said, what made the difference? He said, I made a mistake. I fell in love. And then we made another mistake. We had a child. And one Saturday morning, I was sitting there feeding her her cereal and looking at that little ear like a rosebud. And all of a sudden, I was no longer looking at a baby's ear. I was looking at the face of God, the other, the one who stands over against us in all of our best moments, in all of our worst moments, the other. And so the Old Testament, unlike the literature of the ancient Near East, uses that word holy and its derivatives more than 800 times. We've met him, they say. And if that's true, if there is only one being in the universe who can justly be called holy, do you see the corollary? There is only one character that can be described as holy. His. Think about that. Suppose the one holy one were cruel. Suppose the one holy one was arbitrary. Suppose the one holy one was vicious. Holiness would mean cruelty, viciousness, and arbitrariness. Oh, but praise his name. It is not so. It is not so. What is the character of this holy one? Six terms regularly describe him, he is right. He will do what is right 
for every circumstance, no matter the cost to himself. He is true. And I'm tempted to stop here and talk a long time, but I can't, except to say this. Why does the Western world, why did the Western world believe that there is such a thing as absolute truth? Because the sole transcendent creator is absolutely true in every one of his relationships. He will keep faith no matter what. And perhaps especially when we don't deserve it. He is right. He is true. He is pure. As some of you know, I've been involved with uh, translation exercises all of my life. Most recently, the New Living Translation. And in a meeting this weekend, we were wrestling with a passage that we think needs to be fixed. And someone was saying, well, let's use sexually pure. And I objected. Because purity in the Bible is so much more than what we have limited it to. Purity is to be one thing. In your sexual relations, oh yes. But in all of your other relationships. This God does not speak with a forked tongue. This God is today what he was yesterday. He is pure. He is all one thing. He is right, he is true, he is pure, he is just. As is true with so many of the vocabulary terms in Hebrew, this word cannot be captured by any single English word. Just is certainly a correct expression of the word in its sense of legal equity, but it is so much more than that. Mishpat is the order of the universe which is held in balance by the loving God. He is just. He is good. <laughs> oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is Yes. And what is goodness? Goodness is that which is in keeping with creation. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And he said, that's good. And he is good. He can be depended upon to do that which is for the best for his creation. Right, true, pure, just, good. And one more. A word that really cannot be translated into English. Chesed. Chesed. You sort of got to clear your throat on that first consonant. It gets translated with seven or eight different words and combinations of words. Finally, you can only translate it with a sentence. The passionate, undying devotion of a superior to an inferior, especially when it's undeserved. Love? Oh my, yes. Mercy? Certainly. 
Faithfulness? Yes. Grace? Of course. This word does not exist yet in any other Semitic language. Now maybe we'll find one example tomorrow. But to this point, it does not exist. It's a unique word to Hebrew, and it occurs 250 times in the Hebrew Bible, many of them describing God. Who is this Holy One? He is the one who is on our side when he ought not to be. He is for us when everybody else in the crowd is booing. He is, as John would say, love. And of course the New Testament has to do the very same thing the Old Testament had to do. None of the standard Greek words for love would work. You had to pull one out of the dim darkness of the dictionary. Agape. John is saying exactly what the Old Testament is saying. God is this unbelievable, unexpected, unimaginable hesed. That's holiness, folks. So how did they learn all that? Did God drop a philosophy book on them? Or a theology book on them? No, thank God. <laughs> they were former slaves. They couldn't even read. What did he do? He invited them into a covenant. Would you like to be my people? <laughs> yeah. We saw what happened to the Egyptians. We would like to be your people. <laughs> Wonderful. Because I want to be your God. I invite you into an exclusive relationship with me in which you accept certain obligations. Well, they knew that from the political world. But God? Yes, God. Yes, God. And what did it involve? What were these obligations about? Well, they were so obvious. There was nothing cruel there. If you're going to be in a covenant with me, you have to eat your kids. There was nothing destructive there. You're going to be in a covenant with me, you've got to eat dirt three times a day. There was nothing crazy. You're going to be in a covenant with me, you've got to jump straight up 30 feet and stay there five minutes. No. And so they stood at the foot of Sinai and in absolute sincerity said, yes, we'll do that. And what was it? Four commandments about God. You won't recognize any other gods. You won't make me in the shape of this world. You won't make me appear empty. And one day out of every seven, you'll remind yourselves, I don't supply my needs. He does. But what about the other six? If you're going to be in a relationship with the holy God, you remember that you are a gift of two people. You don't kill your neighbor? You don't steal from your neighbor? You don't lie about your neighbor? 
You don't commit sex in an adulterous relationship with your neighbor. And you don't ever think that if you just had your neighbor's stuff, you'd be happy. And one day, A.B. elbows Zeke and says, Zeke, I'll bet God doesn't lie. And Zeke says, oh, wow. You're right. And you know what, A.B.? God keeps his promises. Yes. They learned who God is in the context of of living his life. And if there were any question, God nails it down when he says, what is this all about? You must be holy for I am holy. What? We must become gods? We must become other in our essence? No. Obviously not. So what does it mean? It means that we become other in our behavior. I have never been able to get away from a little quote in George Barna's Boiling Point. He wrote it in 99, talking about the decade from 2000 to 2010. And he said, in that decade, we are going to see the death of truth. Sounds like Amos. And he said, in that decade, if Christians want to have a golden opportunity for a soft Christian witness, they need to refrain from just two things. Don't tell a lie and don't break a promise. And your behavior will be so countercultural, people will have to ask you, what is it with you? That's holiness, folks. Behavior that is other. Behavior that when the world says, what's in it for me, says what's right. <coughs> Behavior that when the world says, I'm not going to get the job unless I lie on the resume says, no, I will be true to my potential employer. Behavior that says, I will be one thing in the darkness as in the light. Behavior which says, I want God's order in my world more than I want my way. Behavior that is just simply, quietly, good. That's holiness, folks. You will read in your theological dictionaries that to be holy is to be set apart. Yes, yes. Set apart, simply belonging to God for his exclusive uses. Yes, yes. Is that true for us? Do we belong exclusively to God 
with our bodies, our minds, our spirits to be used exclusively for him? Good. But that's the threshold. What will such a person look like? What will such a person act like? There will be a profound, earth-shaking, ethical change in their lives. Why? Because God says, if you don't do this, I'm going to get you. No. No. Because we have fallen in love. Fallen in love with the one who is Hesed. For Hesed is the bottom line of it all. Why do you do right? Why are you true? Why are you pure? Why are you just? Why are you good? Because you love him. Because you love him to the depth of your being in gratitude and in joy and in gladness. And so Paul can say in Galatians, the whole law is summed up in one word. Love. And is that some innovation of the great apostle? Hardly. Jesus! 613 commandments. Which is the greatest? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Bottom line, holiness is love. But I say again, it is not that sentimental squishy feeling in the pit of your stomach, love. The tragedy, the tragedy of our day is we have lost totally the idea, the biblical idea of love. And so a couple stand at the altar and say, I promise to be true to you as long as the squishy feeling doth last. <laughs> it won't last. A three-day growth of beard and a shirt that stands up by itself in the closet are very hard on squishy feelings. <clears throat> like a mud pack and curlers. And so, oh, I feel so squishy about the lost. It won't last. I feel so squishy about my congregation. It won't last. And so when we talk about the whole commandment being fulfilled in love, we're not talking about sentimentality. We're talking about hesed. To give ourselves away. And not be concerned about whether we're going to get it back or not. That's Hesed. Hesed that pours itself out. Friends of ours, 
every time they see Karen and me, remind me of something I said now nearly 30 years ago. Be careful what you say. <laughs> I don't exactly remember it, but they remind me. If you choose to be a bridge, expect to be walked on. And the wife of the couple said, it was at that time we were involved heavily with people living in our home, which we felt we should do, and I was just going to pieces. And she said, when I heard those words, I said to myself, okay, do I want to be a bridge? And the answer is yes. Oh, friends, holiness, holiness is ethical rectitude. It is purity. It is goodness. It is rightness. But unless all of these are infused with a heavenly hesed agape, they are dust and ashes. But the good news is, and sometimes I'm almost sinfully proud to be a Wesleyan, <laughs> the good news is we can fulfill Paul's words in Ephesians. We can imitate God and walk in agape as Christ walked. Is that just a carrot on a stick in front of the donkey's nose? For those of you who didn't grow up on the farm, you don't know what that is about. <clears throat> donkeys are notoriously single-minded. They want what they want when they want it. How are you going to get this donkey to go to town when the donkey doesn't want to go to town? You tie a carrot on a string on a fishing pole and you hold it out in front of the donkey's nose. Ah, I believe I'll have a carrot. I think I'll have a carrot. I'm going to have a carrot. Before he knows it, he's in town. Is that what we're talking about? Walk in love. You can't, but try. That's not the word of a holy God. What does Jesus mean in those terrifying words in Matthew 5.48? You must be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. No. No way. Context, context, context. What's he been talking about in the previous verses? A love that is self-starting. You don't have to have somebody else love you before you love them. A love which is self-continuing. They don't have to love you back for you to keep on loving them. A love that is perfect. 
If I have to love you before, excuse me, if you have to love me before I love you, that's a love which is imperfect. And if I say, okay, here's five minutes worth of love, you pay me back and we'll see about going on, that's imperfect. But a love, a love, which is self-starting and self-continuing, is perfect. It's complete. It's whole. That's what John is talking about in John 4. He's not talking about a love which understands everything exactly. A love which is... He's talking about a love which is complete in itself as the gift of God. Oh, oh, if you and I try to be holy in ourselves. I'm gonna be holy if it kills me. It'll kill you. <laughs> and we've got oh too many testimonies of that. All you get out of that is blunt teeth and fingernail marks in the palms of your hands. But God says, I will make you holy so that you can make me holy in the eyes of the world. And so we have to decide, does the scripture say that you and I can be holy in our behavior in this life? Or is it merely that horrible, horrible thing that we hear all too often? Oh no, we're just all sinners saved by grace, but God looks at us through Jesus-colored glasses and he thinks we're holy. Dear God, no wonder, no wonder we have not transformed our society. It's another quote from Barna. Christians have not transformed their society because they are neither grieved nor humbled by their sin. Oh, what would it be? What would it be if a group of people like this allowed God to do everything in their lives that he wants to do, that he's promised to do? If people like us dared to believe his promises, I... I can be filled with the love of God so as to live a life like His. That's really what it comes down to. Will we believe Him? Will we give Him the chance to do His work? 
You say, is it as simple as that? Yes and no. But for the Hebrew people standing at the foot of Sinai, it was as simple as to say, yes, God, we believe that you are good, we believe you are true, we believe you are faithful, and you call us into this relationship, and we believe you to do your work in our lives. Was there more to it than that? Oh, yes. But that's where it begins. And so I would ask you this morning as I close, has there ever been a time in your life where you, once for all, died to your way and believed God to fill you with a love that is self-starting and self-continuing. I want to say to you that if you go out from this place, never having allowed God to do that in your life, the church of God will devour you. For many, many years, Asbury Theological Seminary was that thing in Wilmore. The off-scouring of the earth. But this place sent out hundreds of men and then women who were willing to go to the back of beyond and die there for love of God and of his people. And Methodist DSs began to catch on. Holiness probably will not make you a bishop. <laughs> I'm not going beyond that. <laughs> Holiness probably won't make you a district superintendent. But I say this, if you allow God to sanctify your heart, you will change every place where you go because you died for those people for love. I beg you, do not leave these halls without daring to believe God for the impossible that you can be filled with holy love.